0: Well, I take an artist or a band and listen to their work Then I put them on a list like a music critic jerk Then I put them all in order from the best to the worst But you probably won't like my choice for first I don't care You might think this idea is dumb You're wrong It's actually random Random Well, hello, 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 and welcome to season three of Random Album Rankings. My name is BC. Thank you so much for joining me, and be sure to follow this podcast on Instagram at random.album. Three seasons. Wow, it just feels like I just started this podcast a few months ago. <laughs> it's just so weird that I've been doing this for all for going on three almost three years. I should say I started this podcast in June of 2020, and actually I had a attempt at, a, at an earlier podcast at the beginning of that year, trying to do something a little dedicated to uh, childhoods from the 70s through the 90s. And I realized I felt more comfortable talking about music than I did Saturday morning cartoons and foods that. Probably only I remembered. So that was the end of right in the childhood. And I decided to go with random and I haven't looked back since. So, and I'd like to thank all of you for listening each week. And when I've been on break, thank you so much for catching up on past episodes. It's definitely appreciated. And remember that listener support is definitely appreciated as well. Tell all your friends about it. If you're feeling up to it, you can even donate money to it. I'll tell you how to do that later on this episode. But uh, yeah, for those wondering if I'm ever going to do Right in the Childhood again, I know that podcast is still looming on other streaming services out in the uh, information superhighway. Does anybody say that anymore? No, I I don't think so. So clearly I'm aging myself here. But I know that podcast, at least the few episodes I did of that one, are... Still looming about maybe at some point I'll do right in the childhood again. But right now, random album rankings has been my focus for these last couple of years. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. So there's that. And there's those of you who are asking, thank you for your support on that. But the answer is not right now. Random is my focus on here. And with season three, I have decided and I have gotten a lot of DMs and comments about this uh, for at least six months about how it's unfair about my uh, listings. They don't, I mean, I'm sure there are people that are angry with what albums I have at number one, what I have at the bottom of the list. That's never going to change. But I realized as I was reading these comments and these DMs, That there are going to be some changes made for this season Uh, i just want to get one thing perfectly clear uh greatest hits box sets and live albums are still disqualified from these rankings as far as live albums go maybe at some point i'll do like a live albums ranking like greatest live albums of all time in my humble opinion Or if a band has multiple live albums, I might do a studio album ranking and then the next episode being their live albums ranked. Who knows? But I will at least be lenient as far as live albums go. They'll get their own separate episode. Uh, When that'll be, I don't know. But in the meantime, that's pretty much a given. As far as uh, weekly episodes like this, studio albums only no live albums no greatest hits no box sets and with that said uh the rule on eps i if you have listened to our Rand dozen episode the one i did with my wife uh she did have an ep from against the current on her ran dozen list and i have heard the ep it's a little over 25 minutes and one of the things i said about EPs are, because not many people really know the meaning of the word EP, extended play, anymore. But I feel if an EP is 25 minutes or more, to me, that constitutes as a full album. Honestly, I think EP is kind of sort of pretty much extinct. In my opinion, as far as music goes, I could be wrong. And if there's any music experts who are telling me the EP is not dead, hey, feel free to let me know. Comment on my Instagram page. Leave a DM at random.album. But if an EP is longer than 25 minutes, to me, it constitutes as an album. So I will let you know there will be an Allison Chains episode in the very near future. And for those of you who swear by Jar of Flies being an amazing work of art, let me assure you, Jar of Flies would be included on the Alice in Chains episode because it is a little over 40 minutes and six songs. Uh, as far as their SAP album goes, it's a little less than 25 minutes, so I would not count SAP on the Alice in Chains list. And second topic, mixtapes. I know r and artists and hip-hop artists release mixtapes. It is a po- in, uh, on top of the actual studio albums just to keep the fans uh, satiated until the new album finally drops. So what's my ruling on that? And the thing is, oof, the thing, the difference between a mixtape and an album is the mixtapes share a common theme, which is usually the case. We've all been in high school or elementary school. We've cut mixtapes. We've cut mixed CDs for Possible significant others. You know that you know the rule. You know the drill. Mixtapes share are songs that share a common topic. Albums tell an even greater story than a mixtape would. So if I was ever going to do an episode on the weekend, I know uh, the first three albums. I you can't see me. if I'm doing air quotes when I say albums are essentially more mixtapes than album. Uh, I thought about it, but you know what? Uh, I will let this slide. If I can find the mixtapes of certain artists, I will include them. If not, then they're not going to be on the list because that wouldn't be a genuine ranking. Uh, So if I was going to do an episode on the weekend, I could either be cheap and go with the trilogy album or compilation album, as they call it. Nobody knows the definition of an album anymore at this point but i would yes i would include his three mixtapes as albums so they would be ranked so i'm going to be very lenient as far as eps and mixtapes go as long as they're over 25 minutes and i can and they're obtainable for me to listen to i will rank them and i will give you that episode once that happens you can count on that each week so why am i bringing up the ep rule well One of the first things that this week's uh, Spotlighted Band, the first album, again in air quotes, that this week's Spotlighted Band released is technically an EP, but it's a little over 30 minutes. And I've decided, you know what, it was very important to this band's history and how they came to be. So I'm going to include it. And if you have, in case you haven't even looked at what this episode's about, well, obviously you tuned in because you saw what was listed on this week's episode season three kicks off with a look at the discography counting the opiate EP from the band tool. So I know you're chopping at the bit to see where I have what ranked, but before I rank tools albums, you know, the drill, it's time for a brief history. Tool is an American rock band from Los Angeles. Formed in 1990, the group's lineup includes vocalist Maynard James Keenan, Adam Jones on guitar, and drummer Danny Carey. Justin Chancellor has been the band's bassist since 1995, replacing their original bassist Paul Damore. Tool has won four Grammy Awards, performed worldwide tours, and produced albums topping the charts in several countries. To date, the band has released five studio albums, one EP, and one box set. They emerged with a heavy metal sound on their first studio album, Undertow, in 1993, and became a dominant act in the alternative metal movement with the release of their follow-up album, Anima, in 1996. Their efforts to unify musical experimentation, visual arts, and a message of personal evolution continued with Lateralis in 2001, and 10,000 Days in 2006, gaining critical acclaim and international commercial success on both albums. Their fifth studio album, Fear Inoculum, was released on August 30, 2019 to widespread critical acclaim. Prior to its release, the band has sold more than 13 million albums in the United States alone. Due to tools incorporation of visual arts and very long and complex releases, the band is generally described as a style transcending act and part of progressive rock, psychedelic rock, and art rock. The relationship between the band and today's music industry is ambivalent at times, marked by censorship and the band's insistence on privacy. Just a little food for thought and facts about the band. Brief little history, during the 1980s, each of the future members of Tool moved to Los Angeles. Both Paul Damore and Adam Jones wanted to enter the film industry, while Manor James Keenan found employment remodeling pet stores after having studied visual arts in Michigan. Danny Carey and Keenan performed for the band Green Jelly, and Carey also played with Carol King and Pygmy Love Circus. Talk about opposite ends of the spectrum there. Keenan and Jones met through a mutual friend in 1989. And after Keenan played a tape recording for Jones of his previous band project, Jones was so impressed by his voice that he eventually talked his friend into forming a new band. They started jamming together while searching for a drummer and bass player. And Carrie happened to live above Keenan and was introduced to Jones by Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine, who was an old high school friend of Jones and former member of the band. Electric Sheep. After almost two years of practicing and performing locally in the LA area, the band was approached by record companies and eventually signed a record deal with Zoo Entertainment, which marked the release of their first effort, Opiate, in March of 1992. Described by the band as, quote, slam and bang heavy music, the EP included the singles Hush and the title track, Opiate. The band's first music video, Hush, promoted their dissenting views about the then-prominent Parents Music Resource Center and its advocacy of the censorship of music. The video featured the band members naked with their genitalia covered by parental advisory stickers and their mouths covered by duct tape. The following year, at a time when alternative rock and grunge were at their height, Tool released their first full-length album, Undertow, in 1993, expressing more diverse dynamics than Opiate and included songs the band had chosen not to publish on their previous release, where they had opted, when they had opted, for a heavier sound. The band would go on to become friends with Bill Hicks, even performing for him and introduced by Bill Hicks on the final day of the Lollapalooza tour in 1992. The band would go on to release several albums, including Anima (1996), which would be dedicated to Bill Hicks, lateralis Ten Thousand Days, and Fear Inoculum. This band has been heavily influenced by various artists over time. uh, Report influence of tools include Phantomus, Devo, Bill Hicks, as I mentioned earlier, Rush, Helmet, Faith No More, Bauhaus, David Bowie, Jane's Addiction and King Crimson. Tool has also influenced other artists such as System of a Down, Deftones, and Korn, who cited Tool as a towering influence on the genre. Keenan's unique style of singing has been seen as heavily influencing artists such as Pete Loeffler of Chevelle, Benjamin Burnley of Breaking Benjamin, Will Martin of Earshot, and Fred Durst of Limp Bizkit. No I did not make that last part up. In fact, Fred Durst of Limp Bizkit has cited Tool as being the greatest band on the planet and, quote, unfair that everything they do is perfect. So, hey, you can't say Fred Durst has bad taste in music because it's clear he doesn't, whether you love or hate Fred Durst himself. And that's a little bit of a brief history and some facts about Tool, and now that you know a little bit about it, that's right, let's get to Rankin'. As I said, new season, new rules with a slight twist. I did say I would count EPs only if they were 25 minutes or longer. Well, in the case of what I have at number six, this effort is 26 minutes and 52 seconds long. And I'm talking about their debut EP. Well, actually, technically, it's their second EP, and I'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, Coming in at number six is Opiate. From 1992 and this would be the very first time that most people would figure out who tool was now I say second EP because there was one in 1991 it was essentially a demo tape that was recorded by the band called 72826 and that's not available on streaming services you could probably find it on YouTube but it's kind of a bad copy and honestly It's really nothing to write home about, but Opiate, on the other hand, this is, this was essentially Tool trying to figure out who they were going to be. This is probably the most metal sounding album to come from Tool, because this was essentially a straight up heavy metal record in every single sense of the definition. Is it a terrible album? Or EP, depending on where you stand on this one. I don't think so. No, it's far from terrible. There is a lot of effort being put into this. And while it's not a great effort, it's at the bottom of my list, it's definitely worth a listen, but also not one to go out of your way for. There's only seven uh, seven songs two of which are live recordings there's even a hidden track near the end of this and i say seven tracks but technically there's six because track number six has the hidden track uh opiate the title track and then a minute and a half after that song ends you get the gaping lotus experience which lasts another hmm, two minutes so it comes out to about 26 and a half minutes. I did mention a couple of live tracks, Cold and Ugly and "Jerk Off," which were played or recorded live during a New Year's Eve show uh, at a place called jell loft in Hollywood. Nobody's sure whether it's 91 or 92. Actually, it is 1991 now that I think about it. I'll uh, look at my notes here. I apologize. Uh, but, yeah, a couple of live tracks, four studio tracks, five if you count the hidden track. And again, nothing really to write home about. This is not really an album or EP that you want to just go out of your way to listen to because it while it's not bad, it's not tool to a lot of people. And certainly not tool to me. I think there's only one standout track from the entire album, and that would be Hush. That would be the only song off that album worth listening to, or at least going out of your way to listen to. Everything else is just kind of uh, it's there. It's it's a heavy metal album. So if you love straight up heavy metal without the progression and the time signatures and whatnot, then maybe give it a listen. But if you're trying to get into Tool, Opiate is not the way to do it. And I will tell you which albums to get into as we progress on this episode. Interestingly enough, this did not Chart when it came out. In fact, uh, it would be a slow process, but eventually would go platinum. And that would be only because when Tool finally released their catalog to online streaming services in 2019, that's when more people gave Opiate a shot. And it wound up peaking at number 59 in 2019, Mm -hmm. about the same week that your inoculum debuted at number one so there you go with that and i don't really have anything else to say about opiate it's a it's a decent effort but it's not tool i mean aside from the vocals and who's in the band it's not the definition of tool But the next album that I will be talking about, this is what Tool would sound like going forward. And this would be their full-length debut album. And I'm already hearing the anger from Tool fans that I have this so low. But I hope you understand as to why as I progress all the way to number one, as far as the Tool albums are concerned. But my pick for number five is is Undertow, which was released on April 6th, 1993. Uh, The album did include some tracks that the band chose not to release on the debut album, Opiate, and I think Undertow is better for it, and this is really a great album. This is definitely one of those albums from Tool that is definitely worth listening to. Even though I have it at number five, it's very interesting how popular this album has gotten over the years this was released at around the time grunge was at the height of its popularity uh especially with nirvana stone temple pilots pearl jam allison chains i could go on, on on you know who's in grunge pop punk was slowly starting to get attention green day had released uh dookie at around this time also but that wouldn't become popular until the following year So there was that cusp between grunge and heavy metal and Tool just kind of went middle of the road and did their own thing as far as their music is concerned. This album has gone on to be certified triple platinum. And even if you've never seen a Tool music video or videos for the songs released off of here, like Sober, Prison Sex, which tackles uh, child abuse, and the title track, the visions are in your head as you are listening to this album. As far and and Tool albums in general, there are some really good tracks here and some diamonds in the rough as well. Uh, the opening track, Intolerance, I think, is a very underrated tune. I also really enjoyed Bottom, which they did with Henry Rollins. That got played for like 2 weeks at the rock station up in northern minnesota where i was living at at the time and then just kind of sort of disappeared uh radio stations didn't really gravitate to tool until we got an alternative rock station up in minnesota where i was living at the time but yeah in fact i'll tell you about the first time i watched a tool video uh as i progress later on this episode but Undertow was definitely an album that would go on to give you the Tool sound. Maynard James Keenan's just nightmarish lyrics. And everybody in this band is just on point here. Paul DeMore, this would be Paul DeMore's last uh, effort with Tool as bassist. So his his bass work is awesome here. Danny Carey is one of the most underrated drummers of all time. I think he is one of the all-time greats as far as the last 30 years are concerned and this band is approaching their fourth decade can you believe that four decades they've been around since 1990 here we are in 2022 it's amazing the consistency and the longevity this band has had even though it takes 20 years to release a new album for them but undertow really opened the floodgates a lot more than opiate did and speaking of opiate The title, if you uh, own an imported version of it, uh, if you own the Japanese edition, or if you bought this from Australia, Opiate is one of the tracks on here. It is a hidden track after Disgustipated. However, it's just Opiate minus Gaping Lotus Experience. So if you really simply want to hear the Lotus Experience, then okay, fine, listen to the Opiate EP. But I think you want to start with Undertow. It is a very impressive album. And they've definitely come a long way between the year that Opiate came out and Undertow come out and they would just only get better from here. It's really hard to pick a standout track, but I really, I mean, everybody knows Sober. Everybody knows uh, the song Prison Sex. I'd probably have to go with the title track on this one as far as Undertow is concerned. And it's just a phenomenal album. And it just showed what Tool could be capable of. And I'm going to sound like a broken record, but they would only get better from here. And coming in at number four is going to be, well, another controversial selection. Hey, I'm not saying that my list of tool albums from worst to best is is written in stone. It's my list and it's my opinion. Maybe you have a different opinion on uh, which tool album is the best, but just to let you know, this is where I'm ranking them. And my pick for number four from 2006, I went with 10,000 days. I will be honest when I first heard this I was not impressed in fact if I had done this episode uh, back when it came out yes 10,000 days would be at the would have been at the bottom of my list I just wasn't impressed with it I mean vicarious was a great song the pot eh, I'm, I'm probably in the minority and I get it but the pot was not a favorite track of mine. It was one of those songs I just, you know, turned off the minute it came on the radio when I was living in the Twin Cities. But uh, I don't know, it's still a least favorite track of mine. If I did a Tool episode, or or I am doing a Tool episode, I'm talking about a Tool songs episode, don't expect the pop to show up on my favorite Tool songs list. But over the years, 10,000 Days really did grow on me. I can definitely feel the pain in Maynard's voice, especially with all he was going through, reading the history. His mo- his mother had passed away uh, prior to the album's release. And I got to give props to the, and you have to listen to this in the full 17 minute. The thing about most Tool albums is you can't really skip tracks on these. Well, you, you could probably skip tracks on Undertale, but everything after that you're cheating yourself and you simply must listen to the combined 17 minute track of wings for Marie part one and the title track wings part two 10,000 days that would be tracks three and four on the album and it is definitely a very depressing listen, especially with all that he had been going through this is basically his tribute to his mother And I think it's definitely one of the most underrated songs on here. There are, I should point out, uh, 10,000 Days is 11 minutes, 13 seconds long. There are two 11-minute tracks on this album. Uh, Rosetta Stoned is definitely a favorite of mine. And, well, here, take a listen. I'll shut up for a few seconds just so you can hear it. Now I should point out uh on 10,000 Days Justin Chancellor is bassist at this point for Tool and he him and Danny Carey are just on point the entire time. Adam Jones is too, don't get me wrong. It's still 10,000 Days is still not a favorite album of mine from uh for as far as his band is concerned, but it has grown on me over the last uh 10 12 years since its release. Uh, A friend of mine who I lost touch with years ago actually did burn me a copy. Although probably the reason why I didn't care for it was because unlike the sequence that's normally on the album, my friend chose to just burn it in alphabetical order for the track listing. So that's probably why I was kind of sort of... Unimpressed. (laughs) Uh, And even when I did check it out at a library and listen to it, still wasn't impressed then. But it's definitely one that has gotten better with time. And I can even, I'll even go as far as to say 10,000 Days of their five albums and Opiate EP. I think 10,000 Days is their most underrated album. So I'll at least be fair and say that. Vicarious is still a banger. Uh, The Wings of Marie combination uh for the tracks three and four are great rosetta stone right into is awesome uh Vigniti tres which closes out the album just phenomenal and it was also a number one album their second overall on the billboard 200 it finished 31st for 2006 it has been certified double platinum and they're in uh, in addition to vicarious in the pot Zombie was another song that was played on radio got as high as number seven on the mainstream rock charts so there is something special in Ten Thousand days uh i i regret overlooking it when it came out i'm not sure oh yeah i was uh, more interested in listening to the eraser by tom york and for those of you who listen to this podcast and have and are closest to me you know how much of a radiohead fan i am and There is definitely a little bit of Radiohead in Tool as far as the progressive music is concerned. So maybe that's why I gravitated to Tool during my uh, downtrodden, depressed phase from 99 to 2005. So I definitely appreciate Tool just as much as I appreciate Radiohead as far as my mental state was concerned at that time. And I will talk more about that even as we head to the number one spot. In the meantime, I'm gonna take a short break, pause, pay some bills, and when I come back, I'll have my top three favorite Tool albums of all time. Stick around. And we are at the home stretch here on this episode looking at the discography of Tool. There's only three albums left to talk about on this list. So let's keep going. Okay. So the year was 1996. And my family, which consisted of me, my brother, and my mother, uh, moving from one house to another around the summer of that year, met one thing cable system would be completely different. I was living in a house at the time, which cable system, the muse, only music channel available was cmt country music television and tnn the nashville network who also dabbled in country music as well at the time back in back in the day as they say so when we moved to this new house we had a new cable system and uh this time around we had no cmt we did have tnn but it faded in and out And we had MTV, which for some reason my family considered satanic and all that. But whatever. What the hell do they know? Anyway, the point of this is until we moved to this new house and I had a cable system that had MTV, honestly, I didn't really know who or what tool was until I saw the video for... Track number one, or at least that's what MTV called it. I didn't realize until much later when the album came out, the song was called Stink Fist. Boy, was I naive at that point. So the less I talk about that, my night, na- my naivety, or how would the fuck you pronounce it, uh, the better. So the point of this is uh, the album that it came off of is my pick for number 3. From 1996 I went with Anima. Released on vinyl on September 17th, 1996 and then CD format on October 1st. The album would debut at number 2 at the time it was their highest charting album at that point and it finished uh, it actually went to number 10 in 2019 after Tool put all their uh, their catalog in the streaming services but it finished 169th in 1996, 72nd in 97, 180th in 98 on the Billboard 200. To this day it has been certified triple platinum. It is one of their best-selling albums. And this, as I mentioned in the history and brief facts of Tool, this album was dedicated to comedian Bill Hicks who died way too young from cancer back in 90. 90- I said he, that he passed away in 92, it was actually 90 Uh, 394, I believe, so I apologize if I don't have my facts around Bill Hicks. I know he died young, and it's just completely unfair that somebody like Bill Hicks is no longer with us. But the album was dedicated to Bill Hicks. There's even a picture on the booklet, the fold-out booklet, uh, listing him as Bill Hicks, Another Dead Hero. In fact, some of his stand-up material is sampled on the last track on that album, Third Eye, which he would use as a a base of his stand-up comedy, Squeegeeing the Third Eye. And if you've never listened to Bill Hicks, I highly suggest you give him a listen. Uh, Albums of his I would recommend. I would go with Dangerous, Rant in E Minor, and a posthumous release called Arizona Bay, which is actually the inspiration for the title track. And you know what I'm talking about, Anima. I have to play the title track. Bay. So that's what you need to listen to as far as Bill Hicks is concerned. Dangerous, Rantony e Minor, and Arizona Bay. Those three albums I would highly recommend if you want to get into Bill Hicks. And uh, for those of you wondering, yeah, I know Dennis Leary ripped off Bill Hicks over time, but at the end of the day... Uh, Bill Hicks is better than Dennis Leary, no offense. Uh, one of the th- things that really stood out, and I talked about the, the album artwork uh, in the History and Facts. I failed to mention the uh, artwork for 10,000 Days, which was the fold-out cover, because normally it was in those clear cases and you pulled the booklet out. But with 10,000 Days, it was a fold-out optical illusion situation but it was Anima that really stood out because, I mean, it was nominated for a Grammy for best recording package and that lenticular jewel case, which has, which was known as a multi-image CD case in the liner notes, but it looked like the images were moving when you're looking at it. Uh, the special images are just f- interesting and shocking to those who were getting into tool at that point. Uh, smoke box which was the animated smoke encompassing ice which was on the cover uh the pupil of the eye which was on the back cover that would move around if you flipped it over and uh, the band of uh, the band looking at a contortionist uh with her legs wrapped behind her head all that in california being a minor earthquake and i that's thus uh, also the inspiration for anima the record the packaging was just top-notch, and also a shock to the system if you've gotten into a tool dry. That's all I have to say. And that's one of the, uh, actually, it's the only album that Pitchfork gave a positive review to. And in case you're wondering, that high rating is 7.9. I tried to uh, check out uh, the Pitchfork review uh, for Anima. Uh, when I did my research on Tool, just so I could share this with you, but uh, it is nowhere to be found at this point. Whatever, neither here nor there. But talk about the album cover. Uh, let's talk about the music on here. Fantastic. Stink Fist, The Video Ford. Watching that at one o'clock in the morning, then trying to go to sleep afterwards. Yeah, that ain't fucking happening. If you've ever, if you're a teenager in 1996, staying up late watching MTV. There's not a bad track on here. Eulogy is horribly underrated. 46 by 2 got played on radio quite a bit. Uh, Hooker with a Penis was an interesting one as well. And Third Eye I talked about earlier. And one of the most interesting tracks on here was uh, track 10 on here. Die Ehe von Satan, German for the Eggs of Satan or the Balls of Satan. And that really caused an uproar with, the parents music resource center and well let's be honest christian folk in general but if you translate the lyrics to De irvon von satan i'm gonna let you know a little secret i mean two old fans those who listen to the album know the secret but guess what it's just a recipe for a mexican wedding cake calm the fuck down it's not a gateway to satan it's a fucking dessert recipe okay let's get this out of our systems now calm down so yeah that is another one uh push it was a near 10 minute track on here third eye is 14 almost 14 minutes long this is the epitome of what a tool album would sound like progressive metal at its finest in 1996 and this was definitely the beginning of their mainstream success and i will talk more about that as i talk about albums 1 and 2 which is really going to be controversial in its own right but i have my reasons for why i rank certain albums a certain way as you know i wouldn't be a this podcast wouldn't exist if i didn't have a personal story to share about the band or the artist that i'm featuring uh, one more track I would like to talk about is one that seemed to fall through the cracks after it was released on radio and MTV, and that's a song called Age. I mean, I know people are aware of it and and all that. The work it started out as half empty and then it was supposed to be half full, but age just seemed appropriate. And the meaning of the song, during an interview, Mayor James Keenan had said, If you've ever watched any of those Warner Brothers cartoons, sometimes there's that one where the guy's having a tough time trying to make a decision, angel on one shoulder, devil on the other. And usually it's the angel who's kind of the one giving the good advice, devil bad advice. They're just friends giving you advice. So it kind of comes down to you. You have to make a decision for yourself. The song is called uh, H. Actually, I take it back. It wasn't an interview. It was uh, during a concert in November of 1996. So basically the concept of age is figure shit out for yourself. Anima is definitely one of the best albums of the 1990s and definitely one of the best metal albums of the 90s. Given the choice of two big metal albums, or I should say three big metal albums, even though I'm hesitant to talk about one of them, uh, given the choice of listening to Anima by Tool or Load by Metallica or Antichrist Superstar by Marilyn Manson, even before the controversy... I'd lean towards Anima. That is heavy metal at its finest in the late 90s for sure. And I definitely give that a higher recommendation over Load by Metallica any day of the week. And, And I am a Metallica fan already, so that's saying a lot. But Anima is definitely one of the best prog metal albums of all time. It's one of the best metal albums of all time, and it's definitely one of the best albums of the 1990s. Probably my top 40 favorite albums in the 1990s. If I ever decide to have the time and energy to do that kind of a list, stay tuned. I'll let you know. Just keep following the podcast on Instagram. Now, moving right along at number two, here is uh, there's going to be two personal stories for numbers one and two. So, uh, when the title track came out a couple years ago, the first 20 seconds, which almost sounds like a dog whistle, and the You know what I'm talking about. You know which album I'm talking about. I will always treasure the first time I heard that song because my dog freaked out over the first 20 seconds of this song. And I thought it was just one of the funniest things I had ever heard in my life at that point. And the song and album I'm talking about coming in second place, not without controversy. Fear Inoculum. I am dead serious when I say this is my second favorite Tool album. It's just a phenomenal record, and this was 13 years in the making. So many creative differences, so many personal issues, so many problems with legal that band members had encountered since uh, 10,000 Days came out in 2006. So between that and Fear Inoculum, a 13-year gap, And honest to God, this album was worth the wait. I mean, I know people didn't give up on Tool. I didn't really give up on Tool, but I wasn't really holding my breath for a new album from them, especially with uh, Maynard focusing on A Perfect Circle at that point with Eat the Elephant, which I have grown to like over time. But wouldn't you know another number one album, the title track, despite being over 10 minutes long, cracked the top five on the mainstream rock charts. Another example of not a bad song in the bunch. The deluxe edition came with a, four, a full four-inch high-definition screen, a two-watt speaker, and a 36-page insert book that's just mind-blowing, even in the era and age of digital downloads and whatnot, that's impressive. Tool knows how to sell a physical copy to you, goes without saying. And then in November, there'll be an expanded book edition, which had a, a deluxe edition without the screen and speakers, but you had the lenticular lens graphics, which were made famous uh, by them on Anima, which I just talked about. But one of the things that stood out, I have to say, If it wasn't for the deluxe edition, I would have put the physical copy uh, at number probably probably third or fourth. Uh, Seven tracks, 79 minutes long. You can only fit 79 minutes and 59 seconds on a CD. But I put the digital version, which gives you uh, three additional instrumental tracks clocking in at 86 and a half minutes that version is what I have in the second place spot yes I'm breaking my own rules with the uh, by putting the deluxe edition or the digital deluxe edition on there but totally worth it Numa and Furinoculum are awesome descending is great but I have to give props to chocolate chip trip and mainly because it's not really Maynard that's, the star here. It's his bandmates, Adam Jones, Justin Chancellor, Danny Carey. Those three, that trio is what makes Chocolate Chip Trip one of the best songs Tool ever put out. And I'll even go as far as to say it is one of my top three favorite Tool songs. And then the closing song on there. Well, in the physical copy, it's the closing song. In the digital, it's the second to last one. I'm talking about Tempest, which is spelled 7E M P E S T. But you get the idea. A 16 minute closer. And it wound up getting them another Grammy. In fact, just looking at the history on this album, they would win best, they were nominated for best metal performance and they and would wind up, wind up winning that one fear inoculum was nominated for best rock song, but they were loose to gary clark jr uh they won top rock album at the 2020 billboard music award so this was definitely worth the wait and easily one of the best albums of the 2010s probably ooh, i dare say it probably is my uh It's probably my third favorite album from that decade and not without controversy. Fear Inoculum is just incredible. And Tempest, where the acceptor is the closing track on the physical copy or next to last on the digital, Tempest is a straight up banger. Fear Inoculum, I mean, there's really not much I can say about it other than it's a phenomenal record and it just shows that the band is here to stay. And it's unfortunate that the pandemic had kind of sort of crippled not just their tour for Fear Inoculum, but life in general. And even more so when Maynard James Keenan tested positive for COVID, not once but twice in the last couple of years, and his health has deteriorated. He has some; uh, he still has effects uh, of COVID uh, messing up with his lungs. Which, at his age, damn! I mean, I can't even imagine what uh, that feels like. Thank, I mean, people like me have been lucky. Not to have tested positive, or maybe I have and just didn't even know it, but I can't begin to imagine what that would be like. Now, I'm not trying to get all political on here. This is not what this podcast is about. I mean, I'm not Joe Rogan. I'm not telling you to get vaccinated. I'm, te- I'm not telling you t- to skip it. All I'm asking here, I mean, if you're to listeners and you're a Tool fan, you're a Maynard fan, which I'm sure you are, just hearing about it, and I know you've been reading and hearing about Maynard's uh, health in the last couple of years because of the with the pandemic. All I'm asking you folks who are listening is stay safe. I know you're capable of making your own decisions, but choose wisely. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, as far as the tour goes, as uh, you saw in the uh, as you read in the uh, description on this week's episode, Tool did go back on tour a few weeks ago and they're going to be uh touring nationwide until july and then if all goes well they're going to be uh, taking that tour to europe and asia so or at least europe i'm aware of i'm not sure about asia in all honesty but uh yeah so more power to him hopefully maynard will be able to uh, handle the long road trips and whatnot especially with his health the way it was the last couple of years. Fingers crossed he makes it through without a hitch. So he's hope here's hoping Maynard has a 100% full recovery. And I hope to God Tool kicks ass in concert on this tour, despite everything. And I've always heard they're supposed to be really good in concert. So I know they're not coming to my neck of the woods. So maybe I can convince my lovely wife to do a road trip when they come close by. So with that said, there's only one more album I have yet to talk about and uh, well i'll keep you waiting here we go enjoy this my pick for number one and i have very very good reason for this being my number one spot, I went with album number three of their career, released on May 15th, 2001. My pick for number one is Lateralis. And I'll be very honest with you, this was the very first Tool album I ever purchased. I had a uh, friend of mine at the time who was a huge fan and suggested, especially with the mental state I was in and This friend turned out to be not a very good friend. After all, thank God I cut ties with that person. But they had said, don't go this path. Tool's not the right band for you. Yet, I've been listening to Kid A by Radiohead at that point. That was definitely uh, helping with my mental health as well. But I bought it on a whim and also bought Reveal by R.E.M., which was another great album that came out that same day but lateralis really stood out to me not just because of the content not just because of the music the lyrics the and just the way it was packaged in general i really really loved this album the minute i bought it and the booklet holy shit, that was a mind-blowing experience i mean I'm all for digital streaming and whatnot, but I also respect the artwork that goes into a physical album release. And you ain't going to get what I'm I'm about to talk about. You're not going to get this on a digital streaming service, but the album cover, which was done by an artist named Alex Gray, it was no lyrics, no liner notes, nothing of the sort. It was essentially a translucent insert when you flip each page used to reveal different layers of the human body and all that was left at the last page the next last page was the brain and the heart and then the last page was just basically um just a spiritual being of some sort just you know the yin the yang nirvana in the end it's just all spiritual at least that's my take on it if i'm way off for the love of god please let me know But that album cover just blew my mind when I uh, opened it up and popped it into my CD player in my car uh, when I first bought it. It was fantastic and very artistic, not just in the cover, but the music in general. And I'll be honest, for almost 80 minutes, I not only understood math, I was actually a math fan, if only for 80 minutes. would be the very first Tool album to debut and go at number one. And this would be the first of three Tool albums that would go to number one. Naturally, 10,000 Days in Fear Inoculum would follow. But 555,000 copies its first week. It was certified double platinum in 2003. And I believe uh, it's actually quadruple platinum. So Lateralis is their best selling album of their career. And songs like schism which i just played parabola the title track are all phenomenal and i also have a soft spot for ticks and leeches as well Uh, going back to parabola it's best to hear that song with the uh, three minute track of parable before it just the history of this and everything with all the issues they were having with their record label, nobody thought it was going to come out. Especially with the way things are going with Volcano, Volcano Entertainment, in January 2001, the the band had originally announced the album was going to be called Sistema Encephale, which is a 12 song track list. Titles announced were, were songs like River Christ, Number Reft, Encephal, uh Music. K at the end and Kolakos, and then they seem to get flooded on Napster. People downloaded it only to get nothing. So for once, Tool bucked the system, and we would get Lateralis on May of two thousand one, and it is phenomenal. I talked about the the booklet just being amazing, and they. Definitely had more experimentation on this one compared to Anima. I mean, one of the songs you have Danny Carey breathing through a tube to simulate a Buddhist chant for parabola. And on once on mantra, that creepy sound you hear is actually Maynard squeezing his cat, cat making those weird noises is just slow down for a two minute interlude. That was phenomenal. And the closing track, Fayep de Oed, I realize I butchered that pronunciation. I'm sorry. But it also sampled an episode of Coast to Coast, the Art Bell Paranormal episode uh, Radio Series. I missed that show. Rest in peace, Art Bell. And I got to give props of the obsession with math. I talked about for 80 minutes, I actually liked math. Lateralis incorporates the Fibonacci sequence on this one. There's a lyric about spiraling out, which refers to the desire and the Fibonacci spiral. And you know, for those of you who don't know what that is, hey, I don't study it either. But the Fibonacci sequence, you know, creating and arranging squares for each number in the sequence: one, one, two, two, three, five, eight, all all that stuff. And the thing about that song is the time signatures. Uh, The song's main theme featured uh, time signatures in nine eighths time eight-eighths time, and then seven-eighths time, the number 987 being the 16th integer of the Fibonacci sequence. Did you get all that? Hey, I'm still trying to wrap my head around, and I've loved this album since it came out. (laughs) But it's just amazing how they experimented with so many different sounds and so many different uh, themes. And, And honestly... Schism is actually on karaoke bar lists. I I kid you not. I don't know if anybody's even tried to sing Schism at a karaoke bar. Because honestly, when you go to a bar, all I care about is drinking and watch people do piss poor singing. And I really don't want to think about math while I'm drinking at the bar. You know, just I'm just saying I love the album. I'm just being honest here. Uh, one of my favorite tracks on here, I have to give props to Reflection, which is part of the a the theme, which is in between Disposition and Triad. Reflection is 11 minutes long, but that opening, the opening two minutes of that, it feels like it belongs in a uh, Michael Mann movie. Oh, here, take a listen if you don't believe me. But overall, I, I think Reflection is probably one of the best songs on the album. Probably my, I think probably my second favorite song on the album. It's just, it just grabs you by the throat and does not let up for the whole 11 minute track. In fact, that's the whole album in general, almost 79 minutes. It basically does not let go. It takes you on that ride and there's just no stopping until the disc ends. Oh, my. enough at about this time i was still listening to kid a by radiohead and a month after lateralis came out amnesia came out but at the end of it all i did put kid a aside for a while and focused solely on lateralis by tool which i still think is one of the best albums of 2000 but no no it is the best album of 2001 in my humble opinion yeah yeah, I'll definitely go That go as far as to say the best album in 2001 was definitely uh, Lateralus. My apologies to The Blueprint by Jay-Z and Amnesiac by Radiohead. And Lateralus seemed to uh, make more sense, especially with 9-11. This was an album that just seemed to make more sense to listen to it around that time. Yes, Kid A by Radiohead made sense too, but Lateralus was the anchor that really seemed to make sense with all that had been happening. Kid A dealt with paranoia, Lateralus dealt with anger, amidst all the themes about math and death and whatnot. This just is really one of this album really stuck with me for the rest of that year and I was definitely in a poor frame of mind at around that time. So I again thank you to Lateralus by Tool and Kid A by Radiohead for helping me keep my head on straight, even though I can't never be able to fully explain why the albums did what they did for me, but they definitely provided more comfort than anything else. And that's why I have a soft spot for lateralis. It just, I mean, it was the first tool out I my and it's one that always stuck with me no matter what, much like kid. A, if I'm not playing one of those albums, at least once a week, you know, on my, uh, my on my i on my phone or whatnot it's playing in my or cd or record it's playing in my head at least once a week if not once a month so there we go it's vladder is one of those albums that just sticks with you and i have to i have to incorporate this one little thing that really got my attention but i've always been uh, I never got the chance to try this. For those of you that are familiar with the uh, syncing up of The Wizard of Oz, the 1939 movie with Judy Garland, and Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd, yes, I've tried this, and I'll talk about that when I do a Pink Floyd episode this season. Spoiler alert. Uh, (laughs) But somebody came up with the idea about two months after Lateralis came out, somebody synced this album with Alice in Wonderland, the 1950s Disney movie. And again, I've never tried this. I never had the chance. If you're listening to this and you've tried syncing up Ladder Alice with Alice in Wonderland, comment. leave me a comment on Instagram. Send me a DM. Let me know if it actually works because that would be interesting if I'm being brutally honest. Uh, but you know you've done it right because what you're supposed to do, you start the movie and then in the credits in the opening credits i believe it was uh when the credits show art design or art direction that's when you play the lateralis album to sync with it and you know you did it right when uh the grudge kicks in and you know you did it right when in the scene where alice puts that flower crown on her cat you hear this lyric Calculate what we will will not tolerate, desperate due control. All and Everything unable to love. Again, if you've tried this, please let me know. Let me know if it's a better experience than the Wizard of Oz Dark Side of the Moon. Uh sync synchronization. I, I'm always willing to give give a shot to anything new or weird. That's what I do. Hey, I'm doing this podcast, aren't I? (laughs) But at the end of the day, lateralis is just one of those mind blowing albums, not just with the artwork and God, please, if you still have the ability to buy physical albums, do so. Those guys do so much. They put in so much hard work to make those album covers look cool. So respect the art Buy physical, if you can, but digital streaming's fine too. You're just not going to be able to have the feel of a CD booklet or an album booklet in your hands. Again, I'm just simply saying, but lateralis is one of those that has always stood out as far as albums around that era concern and tool still remain one of the best bands in prog metal. One of the best bands in prog rock mayor, James Keenan's vocals are on a whole nother level. Danny Carey, Justin chancellor and Adam Jones are just fantastic as well this is the most the one of the best cohesive units in prog rock and continue to do so i really loved this album i still listen to this album and it definitely holds a special place to me because this one really opened the floodgates and helped me in experimenting with more prog metal more prog rock i think i started listening to king crimson or getting into bands like that thanks to tool so and lateralis in general so this one if you love lateralis then yes give king crimson a shot give their early work a shot and honestly this along with anima are the two albums that i would highly suggest you start off with and then dive in dive further into the tool catalog but i would highly suggest you start with lateralis and just the production and Oh, yeah, I can't really end this without talking about Brent Dacre fucking Shenzo's 1.9 review on Pitchfork. I mean, it goes without saying. He's a moron. He serves no purpose anymore as far as that goes. So he's gotten it wrong for years. But 1.9, really? Yeah, no. It's, It's definitely a 10. And Lateralis is definitely the Tool album that I would highly suggest if you're listening to this episode and thought about Hmm, what should i listen to if i want to get into tool i i believe lateralis is one you would you should start off with that will blow your mind for a good six months Looking at the booklet listening to the music that will blow your mind for a good six months i mean 20 years after that album came out 21 years after the album came out that album Lateralus still blows my mind to this very day everything the structure the time signatures and if you really want to go a step further on this, go on YouTube because there are people that uh, alternated the track listings for Lateralis. There's one called the Holy Gift where they switched it up, so uh, it starts with track thirteen, goes to track number one, track number twelve, that sort of thing. That was pretty cool. Also, somebody uh, alternated the track list to match the Fibonacci sequence. It's there. Just go on YouTube, type in Tool Lateralis Fibonacci, and you can thank or hate me later. But at the end of the day, it doesn't take a math expert to know Lateralis is one of the best albums of the 2000s. And in my opinion, the best album Tool had ever put out. And just like that, another edition of Random Album Rankings is in the books. But before I go, let's take one final look from Worst to Best, the discography of Tool. At number six, I had their EP Opiate from 1992, followed by their full-length debut album Undertow from 1993 at number five. 10,000 Days from 2006 coming in at number four, Anima from 1996 at number three, fear inoculum their most recent release from 2019 coming in in second place i know that's a controversial selection and ranking but that's my list so what can you do (laughs) and my pick for number one 2001's masterpiece lateralis that's going to do it for this edition of random album rankings and our first episode of season three thank you so much for joining me be sure to follow this podcast on instagram at random.album that's r-a-n-d-u-m-b dot a-l-b-u-m-b and i should also point out that now you can rate podcasts on spotify along with google and itunes so if you're listening to this podcast on any of those streaming services or any streaming services that allow you to rate podcasts leave a five-star rating leave a one-star rating tell me how i'm doing because i can only get better from here you can even leave messages on my anchor fm website just go to anchor.fm slash random dash album click the messages button leave a message i'll play it on a future episode no matter how nice or mean-spirited you are it's going to get played and i should also point out i have said this at the beginning of the episode listener support is greatly appreciated so to learn more Go on the Anchor website that I told you, anchor.fm slash random-album. Click on listener support. You can donate as little as 99 cents a month, not even a buck. And if you choose not to donate, all I ask of you is to tell your friends about this podcast and maybe give them something new to listen to. So that's going to do it for me. I am out the door. Be sure to tune in next week when I'll tackle the discography of a band that I featured in my I Used to Love You But Can't Defend You Anymore episode. I'll be tackling Billy Corgan and the Smashing Pumpkins next week. So until next time, I'm BC saying, the world is your oyster. Get out there and go shuck it. Goodbye, everybody. You may think this idea is dumb. Well, you're wrong. It's actually random.